you look around at what general popular opinion is on marriage, it's not exactly stellar. I mean, you talk, look, look at the jokes, look at the commentary about marriage. John Dryden wrote on his wife's epitaph, Here lies my wife, here let her lie, she is at rest, and now so am I. <laughs> Helen Rowan says, When a girl gets married, she exchanges the attention of many men for the inattention of just one. <laughs> it's funny. But I wish that it wasn't so untrue. I wish that it was more untrue. The sad part is that this is a reality for so many. Jokes about the misery of marriage are just never ending. The concept of passion and romance no longer seem to take place within marriage of the modern mind. Overwhelmingly, the world experiences marriage as unfulfilling unhappy and miserable it's an estimated that one-third i say probably higher of marriages in the united states are purely platonic there's no passion there's no love it is simply a living arrangement with some level of resentment and overwhelmingly the reason that is given is a lack of intimacy and so, yeah, it's particularly sad that, that that marriage, that intimacy within marriage, is the carrot that Christians hold out as the reason for marriage. I remember growing up and hearing the phrase over and over, why buy the cow if you can get the milk for free? You guys have heard that one probably, right? What a horrible reason for getting married. Seriously? That's it? That's the only reason you're getting married? I hope not. I really, really desperately hope not. And, and if that's the case, if that's really what we believe, no wonder that marriage is going out of style. I can't see how many times I've heard, well, why bother getting married? It just makes everything worse. It goes back to those jokes, right? Why bother? Nobody that I know that's married is happy. Why do we do it? And maybe it's not so surprising when we bring along parallel to that that people say, why should I bother joining the church? Nobody there is happy. <laughs> okay, I actually didn't have this in my notes, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. There was one time where I was out teaching when I was out as a student missionary, and there's this little, adorable little girl that comes up to me, and she says, hey, why are you here? And I'm like, because I care about you. And she's like, well, what part of, what organization are you part of? And I said, well, I'm part of a Christian organization. That she stops me and she says, you can't be Christian. I said, why? She says, you're way too nice. <laughs> so why is it? Why is it that we have this refrain that we hear over and over? Why bother getting married? They're not happy. Why bother joining the church? They're not happy. We can have a relationship without marriage. You're going to be happier that way. I can have a relationship with God without the church. You'll be happier that way. And so clearly we're missing something. Clearly we're missing something. And we as Christians have historically struggled with how 
to address intimacy. Yes, yes, we're going there. Don't worry, it's going to be family friendly. Sexuality from a Christian perspective, we typically either address it in two perspectives. We talk about abstaining, right? Like, wait, wait until you're married. Like, that's one thing that we talk about when we talk about sexuality. And the other thing, of course, is talking about LGBTQ community. And so no wonder it is that we struggle with intimacy when our only two talking points about intimacy are about what you should not do. Well, we're married. What should we do? Maybe we should talk about that. How do you be happy within marriage? And it's no doubt that we struggle with intimacy in our marriages just as much as everyone else does. In the 90s, there was this intense emphasis in waiting until marriage. And unfortunately, that conversation, a great starting point, ended up morphing into a message of shame. And now what we're seeing more and more, I've, I've been listening to this podcast, and it, it was, it's heartbreaking to hear that more and more, when those people grow up, they get married and they can't turn off the messages in, this he- in their head that they've been hearing on repeat, that your body is shameful, this act is shameful, you should not be doing this, you should not be doing this. And so what we have done inadvertently is destroyed the intimacy within marriage, the very thing that is supposed to best represent our closeness with God. Isn't that sad? Well, I have a different proposition for you. Our God is a God of passion. Amen? He wants us to be passionate, truly passionate. And true passion is a gift that flows directly from God himself. This is not about sex. This is about passion, and passion flows to every aspect of who we are. Married, married people, good news. This will make things better for you. Single people, good news. This will make things better for you. And everybody, good news. This will make your relationship with God greater because passion is something that should integrate into every part of our lives. Amen? Amen. All right. If you're excited and loving life, this will show in the marriage bedroom. And who, let's, let's be honest, who doesn't want a passionate life? So, here's the deal. Intimacy conversations are awkward. I already kind of mentioned that. We're going to go ahead and embrace that this morning. I'm going to try to keep this light and fun because I believe that passion and intimacy is light and fun. So that's what we're going to do. And we're going to examine passion from Song of Solomon, and you know, just, just the parts of it that are good for mixed company. You can read the rest later if you like. <laughs> and we're going to talk about how it applies to marriage. We're going to be taking every point. We're going to talk about how it applies to marriage, how it applies to your everyday life, and most importantly, how it applies to your relationship with God. Let's start with prayer. God, thank you for passion. Thing that you put into our hearts that makes us excited about life. God, this morning as we listen, I ask that the words that I speak not be my own, but they be yours, and that we hear the messages that you would have us hear. Amen. All right, please turn to Song of Solomon 8, 
6. The book of Song of Solomon is also sometimes called Song of Songs. I believe the Pew Bibles calls it Song of Songs. If you're looking at the Pew Bibles, it's in page, on page 483. That's 483. And if you're not, uh, Psalms and Proverbs are the two easiest books to find for sure. Go Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Now, as you're looking that up, I just want to talk a little bit about this book. It is an interesting book, and for those of you that have read through it, I'm probably not the only one that opened it up for the first time and was like, is this allowed in the Bible? I don't feel like it should be. Am I supposed to be reading? You know, they gave this to me when I got baptized, so I guess it's okay, but I don't feel like maybe it is. Some of it's just so overtly sexual. And some things, just a warning, apparently there were some things culturally that were okay back then that are super weird for us now. It's in there, and it's just the way that it is. Uh, but here's a fun activity for married men. Just throwing this out there for you guys. Um, in the middle of the day, text your wife, a Song of Solomon pickup line. <laughs> it is quite the power move, I will tell you. I did it this week. It's a winner for sure. I'll, I'll give you some ideas. Ready? I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Ladies, tell me that doesn't get you going. Compare, this one is actually pretty good. Compared to other women, my, my beloved, you are like a lily among thorns. This one's for the dentists out there. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep. Just shorn, coming up from washing. Each has its twin, and not one of them is alone. Don't use this if your wife has missing teeth. <laughs> and those are just a few. There are so many more. Check out the more steamy ones later. You'll never see gazelles in the same way again, I promise. <laughs> okay, back to the point. So the text that we're on, 8-6, scholars say that this is the climax of the whole book. So typically in Hebrew, what you'll see is you'll see a building, 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 and then you'll see a climax where everything else is supposed to filter through. Typically in, in the way that we talk, there'll be, I'll, I'll, say it, so I'll say what you're supposed to hear, and then I'll say it, and I'll explain it, and then I'll say it again. Over there, they want to see you build, 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 build. And in the very middle, this is the point. So when we read this text, this is kind of the thesis statement of Song of Solomon. And that's really important. So we're going to go ahead and just start off reading this says, set me as a seal on your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Now I want to stop there for just a second, because I'm actually going to start at the last part and then work backwards. So the part that says a most vehement flame. Now this is interesting, and I just love this. The Hebrew word for it, it takes the Hebrew word flame, and then it puts yah at the end. 
And typically, when that's done, what it means is that it, it's God. The Yah is God. And so there's debate among circles about what this actually means. A lot of scholars believe that that Yah at the end is just meant to make it stronger, like a, a vehement flame, a strong flame, a roaring flame. Some will even say a strike of lightning. And then other scholars will say, and I just love this, that that Yah, no, 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 no. That's always meant to mean God. And so another way, and I, I say, why not? Why not both? Well, one of our, our seminary professors out there has, has written an entire book. It's like this. I don't think it's actually meant to be read. But it's called Flame of Yahweh. And in that, he makes the case for, for the, this actually saying that this is God's flame. The passion that is meant to flow through us is the flame of God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? I love it. Incredibly. And, and it's no doubt, it's, it's no surprise that when we talk about passion, we talk about the spark of passion, the fire of passion burning within us. And sometimes, like I said, it's, it's, sometimes it feels like it's supposed to be wrong. But what instead if we changed it over and said, no, that burning in your chest is the very flame of God. Isn't that amazing? How would that change the way we think? Okay, I'm going to shift over for just a second. So I was talking to my son Orion this week, and he asked me if I've got more stories in my sermon. And I said, no, not really. This sermon's not going to have a lot of stories. And he threatened to take me off of the list of his favorite preacher. <laughs> and um, I can't let that happen. And so I told him that I would do this experiment. I think it's a pretty good experiment. When we think about passion... And I think that this is a good switch for us in understanding that. When we think about passion, the passion that the world typically shows us and the Western mind typically thinks, we think of a bright, hot flame that quickly burns out. I'm going to show you. All right. Actually, we'll go with this one. All right. So we typically think of passion a little bit like this. A bright, hot flame, whoosh, it's bright, it's hot, it's wonderful, but it's gone like that. Okay, we'll do that one more time so you can see, because you weren't waiting. And Orion, were you watching? Am I still, am I good? Okay, we'll do it one more time. We think of this bright, hot flame of passion, right? It's quickly burned out, and it's no surprise that when we think about that, we think about, we think about, the, you know, the one-night stands and the, the quick boyfriends and girlfriends and all these other things. And maybe, maybe, just maybe the flame of Yahweh is different. All right, I'll do this one more time and then we'll go on. Okay. Done. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And that's why I have this behind me. What if it's less like this? I believe that it's less like this, and it's a lot more like this. There's nothing like sitting around a campfire, right? And I think that sometimes in our modern day life, we, we miss some of the analogies because we're not as dependent on certain things as we used to be. If we're cold, we turn up the heater, right? But think about a more primitive society.
Many have died for lack of fire. Fire warms on a cold day. It keeps wild animals away. It cooks food. It purifies water. When you're in a survival situation, especially in winter, you have to get a fire or you die. What if we miss about that? But this fire that I just did right here is useless. It is useless in that scenario because it's so quickly gone. What if we saw God like that? It's easy to start kind of relegating him into like, all right, I'm going to go to like Bible camp. Whoosh, that's fantastic. Or I'm going to maybe even go to church because Brandon's preaching. And, uh, and, uh, or, or I'm going to go to this retreat. Whoosh, or there are all these like little quick flames that are happening here and there. And we're, we're just looking for that kind of next little spiritual high that we're going on. And maybe what instead if we started looking for a spirituality that had hot coals that simmered throughout our life. Wouldn't that be amazing? What if we started looking for a relationship that was those hot coals that simmered throughout our life? Something that could heat a house something that could keep us warm, something that could boil a pot of water, all those things. Stats tell us, we talked about images in marriage is purely transactional. I mean, wh what if we started like that? What if marriages started off as just purely transactional? All right, you're standing up here at the altar. We're about ready to get married. Okay, sir, groom, Tell us why you're about ready to get married to this beautiful young lady. Well, I tested her. She cooks pretty good. She cleans the house well. She stays on top of laundry. Um, she looks halfway decent. And uh, she, she uh, is he healthy enough to bear me children. And that's about it. Oh, my stars. Can you imagine? Or what if they went the other way around? Young lady, can you tell us why you are about to marry this young man? Well, he treats me okay. He, provide, he makes a lot of money, which also means I don't have to see him an awful lot. That's great. Uh, He's going to provide for our family. Generally lets me do what I want to without asking too much of me. What a horrible, horrible place to start marriage. But guess what? That's where so many of them land. It's horrible and it's so sad. We act a certain way before marriage and it's so exciting and it's all these other things. And as soon as you have each other committed, you completely change the way that you act. And maybe that's because all we see is the flame like this, and we're not looking to build a flame like this. What does a flame like this look at? Ladies, here's the thing. Do not let familiarity steal your power. This is your support. Romance your wife, man. Tell her she's the sexiest thing you ever did see all the time. Buy her flowers. Text her like a newlywed. Ladies, give affirmation to your man. Tell him he's such a hunk. Is that an old term? Too old? I don't know. 
Tell him he could win a wrestling match with anyone else in here. Provided that it's a sumo match. Maybe not that. Maybe not do that one. I don't know. Here's, here's the reality of the world that we live in. Women compare themselves daily to the photoshopped 20-year-olds in the magazines. The girls in the magazines don't even look like the, them. And it really has a negative effect on them. Men, husbands, it is your job to undo that. It is your job to undo that. Wives, men com compare themselves regularly to all the successful, rich, ripped, respected, that's a big one, people that they see on the news, at their job, anything else. So many men come home on a regular basis feeling like they're really no good at anything. Wives, it's your job to undo that. You, husband and wives, are to be the voice of God to your spouse. Think about that for a second. What does God say to us? You are beautiful. You are valuable. You are amazing. This is your job to be their primary voice in your life. So let's widen the circle a little bit. As Christians, it is our job to be the voice of God to the world. The people that are struggling, the people that don't get it, you are valuable. You are loved. It blows my mind when I read statistics that there are people who have not been told they're loved in years. Isn't that sad? They've been not told they're loved in years. It's our job to undo that. Have you ever seen people that live their life every day with zero passion? I'm sure you have. They walk around like zombies. It's such a sad existence. Live a life without passion. Live a life without passion for your job, for what you do, for the people you're around. The Bible says, do everything to the glory of God. How am I supposed to do, how am I supposed to wash toilets to the glory of God? How am I supposed to do that? That's what living life with passion, that's what living life with the flame of God in our chests is like. Wow, what an amazing thing to do. And our relationship with God. Who, here, I, I want to go ahead and throw this out there. In Jesus' time, who knew the Bible best? Their Bible. Who? The Pharisees knew the Bible the best. Who killed him? The Pharisees. Or at least they were the ones that organized the whole thing. Our church, the SDA church, we are proud scholars. That is something that we should be proud of, and I will never disparage that. I'm proud of being in a church that knows what we know, and we know it well, and we study it well. But it should not come at the expense of our passion for God, a passionate relationship with God. And I think that, that is sometimes something that we struggle with. I don't want to say it's something that it's always there, because I know lots of people within the church that are super passionate and that I admire greatly, 
but I think that it is something that we need to keep a very close eye on. Because knowledge isn't what's going to open your eyes to who God is. It's going to be the passion in your life, the flame of God in your heart that moves you. Passion is vital to the health of our spiritual journey. We call it worship sometimes. It's what moves us to change. Stand in front of your creator. Fall to your knees. Be amazed. We are in grave danger in losing sight of the grandeur of God. We lose that. For love is as strong as death. Its jealousy is unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. A fire like that has hot, hot coals that are developed over much, much time. We must acknowledge that we are dealing with something far bigger than us. Within that text, they're, they're talking about love, that it's something that's bigger than them, something that's greater than them, something that could destroy them. They're playing with fire. And when we approach God, may we never approach God in such a way that we feel like he is very small, but instead may we approach God in a way that we acknowledge that we are playing with something so big and powerful and dangerous. The flame of God can consume, and it does consume. And I want to warn you that when you begin to play with the flame of God, it might hurt when it burns away the pieces of you that you're holding on to that don't coincide with the relationship with God. We're not talking about an easy road. We're talking about a good road. So moving backwards, next part. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as st strong as death. Jealousy is unyielding as the grave. I got something for you. Okay. Okay. Some of you got that. Okay, super cheesy. I know, I know. Place me as a seal on your heart. Ooh, ooh. But you won't forget it, will you? Ha! I tricked ya. For those of you that are still wondering what the joke is, that's not actually what that means. We're not talking about seals. What this is talking about is this is a sign of, of possession, of ownership. And remember how I talked about about this text being the grand workup, the grand workup. It's the seal is a paradox. I love this. This is a quote that I got. A paradox of wholeness, individuality. Notice the power dynamics here. The seal is a sign of identity. She wants her identity pressed into his very being, on his heart, on his arm into his very being. She is wanting him to take her on as part of him. 
But what are the power dynamics here? Think about that for a second. We love talking about power dynamics when it comes to women and men. She's making demands that he take her on. It doesn't make any sense. Is she in control? Well, yeah, I guess, because she's making demands. Is he in control? Well, she's demanding that he take control. It doesn't, like, it's all over the place. The power dynamics are over the place. And guess what? It's wonderful because it's beautifully messy, and it's ambiguous, and it's exactly how it ought to be in marriage. There is not a clear leader. There is, there is not a clear person that demands. There is not a clear follower who is subservient. This is a dynamic where she's saying, take me on, lead me. She's demanding that he lead. How wonderful is that? She's in power because she's asking. He's not coming in saying, you will bow down to me, woman. No. She's saying, I'm ready for you to take me on. Isn't that wonderful? This is the way love ought to be, ready to merge. And when this happens, there are no secrets. All is laid bare. Passion comes when we remove insecurities, fear of judgment. Hap this, this happens physically when it is in marriage, naked and exposed. All the things, like, let's admit it. There's all something about our bodies that we do not like. Nobody, I'm convinced of it, nobody looks in the mirror. Well, a few guys might. But nobody looks in the mirror and like, man, I look good. <laughs> there is something about everybody that they're like, well, if this could be changed, if that could be changed. And when you, be, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you expose that to another person, you're exposing a very intimate part of yourself that is opening yourself up to criticism. It's very vulnerable. It's very insecure. And that moment when he goes, wow! I'm not getting a response here. I was expecting to get a response. <laughs> wow! All insecurities go away. And I can imagine taking my insecurities to God, saying, God, I, I'm not perfect. I do this wrong. I do that wrong. I think these thoughts. I do all these things wrong opening myself up to the insecurities. And I think that most of us in our minds imagine God <sighs> sighing, well, you're not perfect. But what if we changed our minds a little bit? What if we imagined ourselves open? What if we imagined ourselves opening up to God and saying, here are all the things that are wrong with me? And God says, wow, you're perfect. Wow, how would that change the way we see God? You're perfect. I love it. Every part of it. But God, I've got these things wrong with me. I've got it. No, 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 no. I've already taken care of that. You're good. I see you as perfect. Wow. That's what intimacy means. Intimacy with God. Intimacy with our spouse. This is what the passion, the flame of Yahweh is all about. There was a lady in a book that I was reading about relationships where this, this counselor went to the lady and, and this couple was estranged. I mean, it was a bad relationship. And he has the husband go away and he says, okay, who's the other guy? And she's incensed. She says, I would never cheat on my husband. He treats you horribly. He's been doing this for 15 years. Who's the other guy? She 
no. This, this is how the way, this is the way he's treating me, not what I'm doing to him. And he says, somebody always finds somebody else. Who's the other guy? And he says, she puts her head down and says, every Thursday I get dressed up and I go to the supermarket. And there's a bag boy in line four. And she says, he notices when I do my hair. That's it. He was the other guy. We all want to be seen. We all want to be noticed. How can you notice your spouse? What is she doing? What is he doing that you haven't mentioned? Well, well, she already knows. She already... No. No, 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 no. Stop that. She may already know. You may have told her 20 bazillion times, keep telling her. Ladies, keep telling him. And what are the ways that we can affirm the people in our lives? Let them know that they are noticed. Are you a... How about in your workplace? How often do you tell your subordinates, maybe even your bosses, how good of a job they're doing? I appreciate you. That's not something that a lot of people see. And it's weird to think of it this way. But that is the flame of Yahweh. When relationships fail to be a place where people are safe from insecurities, that's how passion dies. May we take a lesson from God that when our insecurities are opened up, he loves us even more. Broaden that into your friend group, your work group, your families, your kids. Man, it's easy. Like, you know, when your kid brings you something that looks like it's a biohazard mess, and they're like, look, I have brought you a grand thing. And you're like, what is it? And they're like, all offended, you don't know? Man, that's the most amazing thing you've ever done. That's amazing! That's what you do. That's what you do. That's amazing! I know, I know, we all as parents mess that up sometimes. And I usually realize that I mess it up when I look and I see that that look on their face where their countenance drops. <sighs> and they realize that what they thought was so good wasn't good enough. And my heart drops, and I, I wonder if I've just messed up any opportunity for them. Build people up in your lives. Build them up. It's not our job to show people that they can be better. They'll be better when they feel good to start with. I don't know where we got this idea. That's a dumb idea. That we somehow need to tell people how they can be better. That's not people's problems. People don't go around thinking they're amazing. Boy, I sure wish somebody would knock me down today. That's not the way life works. The quickest way to kill potential is to make somebody feel unsafe. How about God? He makes it very clear that he loves us no matter what. And I bet if we were to be honest, most of us imagine God judging us. We must 
get over that. God knows you, everything wrong about you, and yet he is still madly in love with you. Stop groveling. He already knows, and he already fixed it. Amen? Ooh. And lastly, the last point I want to get to real quick is this idea of tension. We have tension. The, I was reading a commentary about the Song of Solomon, and this struck me so hard. It says, the entire book is about longing and resolution, tension and release, longing and resolution. And as I started kind of mulling this over, it hit me hard that this is the difference in what we are missing. That is what this flame does not have. It's just hot and it goes away. But this flame has tension. It builds and it comes down. It builds and it comes down. And we struggle with this. I know that we do. We all want things now. The natural order, but the natural order of it is to build, release tension. If we miss this, we miss the opportunity to grow in marriage, in life, and spiritually. Now I'm going to skip over the premarital sexual implications and marital sexual implications of this. You guys can figure that out later. But... Sometimes I think we approach our lives, especially marriage, like a car. Imagine going out and getting that perfect sports car. It's got all the right lines. It's got like 20 miles on it. No scratches, no dings. From there, it only gets worse. Right? Like, your whole job is to keep that sucker pristine. And every little dent and every little ding and think about, I think most people view their marriages like that. The day we got married was the best day of our lives, and it just went downhill from there. That's what a lot of people will say, because guess what? Your first fight comes in, and man, you see his mean side. Boom, there's the first ding in your brand new car, and that's going to be there for the rest of your life, and you're going to hold on to that, aren't you? And, oh, man, he does this, she does this. And as time goes on, your car gets more dinked and dented and all those other things. That's such the long way to look at life. What if we looked at it like, like all the poop, I'm using the good word, church word for this, all the poop that is dug up from your lives and gets thrown at each other like crazy monkeys at the zoo? What if that's the fertilizer that something beautiful grows out of. Think about that. What if that is the start? Rather than something that's perfect and goes downhill, maybe this is a garden that we're continuing to build. And all those horrible things, this is just a new opportunity for us to grow closer together. Hard things in our life strengthen. That's what builds, that's what builds the coals that can withstand flood. And maybe we really need to start seeing tensions in our lives as being the blessings of desire. Maybe this is what some of those confusing beatitudes are all about. They throw some horrible things in there. Blessed are those who mourn. Excuse me? I don't want to mourn. That ruins my life. But guess what? That's the tension. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because they will be comforted. And the release is so much greater Water is so much better when you are the most thirsty. Marriage not going well, build desire, not resentment. Personal life taking a major hit, praise God, this too 
can be a blessing. Here's the hard one. God's silent in your life. He's not showing up as you'd like him to. There's your tension building. And guess what? That, too, can be a blessing in your life. Build desire. We can choose to build desire or build resentment. I'm so mad at God. He never does what I want him to, and I'll storm off and slam the door behind me. Or I can say, God, I want you more every day. And someday it will be so sweet when this is over. No one appreciates freedom like a newly released prisoner. And may it be that your time in prison, may it be personal, maybe even in your marriage, or spiritually, may that time be a blessing for you as you build to see the resolution and the freedom that comes after. It's not easy to say, but sometimes we need to suffer to truly see the goodness of God in our lives. Imagine with me for just a second a church where we go out and people say, man, you guys, you Medford SCA guys live such a good life. You're an inspiration to all of us. Your marriages are fantastic. And you do everything with such a passion for life. What is that? Why? I don't understand that. And he said, we play the long game. We have the flame of God in us. John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So often we look at that text and think of, like, guess what? Anyone can love each other. Anyone can love each other. Go out, and some of the worst heathens take great care of themselves, each other. So there has to be something different. And that's the passion that God puts into our hearts. It's unique passion for love of life. So here's your assignment. I want you guys to go home, and I want you to think hard about the areas in your life that are building the things that you're not happy about. Are you mad at God because he's not doing something right in your life? Is your marriage not great? <laughs> How about your work life? Is that not going great? What are the things that are building tension? What are the things in your life that aren't going right? And I want you to intentionally thank God for that and ask God to show you someday how that is going to resolve to a more, into a life that has more of his flame in your heart. Let's pray. Lord, we want the flame of Yahweh, the flame of God within us. We want to love each other better, but not in a way that the world totally understands. God, we want to experience passion in our, in our marriages. We want to experience passion in our lives. We want to experience passion with you. And a passion that is long-lasting, that can withstand floods that is deep and warm and long-lasting. God, for every horrible thing that happens in our lives, for every fight that we have with our spouse, for every time we get angry with you, may that be something that builds that relationship and not tears it down. We love you so much. Amen.